Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. What do you get when you combine these traits? Business awesomizer, suck exorist, sonic alchemist, and world's most skeptic shaman, along with 20 years of drumming, Fabeku. Fabeku has combined his superpowers along with his skill set to create a business that matches who he is and what he knows. And he really has his own language, which some of the times I don't understand, but I still have always drawn to him and I love talking with him because I think he's brilliant. You're going to most likely hear words like superpower, bigness, smallness, and boom during today's interview. His own superpower is unapologetic freedom in deep soul flow. And this is how Fabeku has built a very successful business from the inside out while helping others do the same. Fabeku's been on my show a couple of other times. We've talked about his own transition from corporate America to doing what he does now. And today Fabeku is coming back to talk about building a thriving business from the inside that truly matters with you. Fabeku, hello and welcome back. Hey, yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for having me again. So, you know, when I said about that with you having your own language, that is true. Like I see you on Facebook and you write all this stuff and I, sometimes I go, I don't really understand that. And it doesn't matter because like I get you on so many levels and there's other stuff that you write and it just resonates so deeply with me. I mean, I feel like a lot of things were kind of on the same path of what's important to us and, you know, creating meaning out there and connecting with people. And so it's like there's this language, these words, and then there's this other uh, language underneath that is communicated differently. Do you have other people that say that to you? Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, so it, it's not unusual for people to say they need some kind of, you know, glossary for my world. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. In other words, I hear that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and that goes against like, again, the traditional business advice, right? Because you are you and you're being authentically you. And, People are coming to you in droves, aren't they? Uh, yeah, and it, it it does it does go against uh, most of the business advice that's out there. But I think that uh, to me, I think language is really important, and I think that the words that we use have power. And I think that there is a real opportunity in creating uh, new language for what it is we do when the old language doesn't really fit. You know, mm -hmm. and. Uh, it, it's it's tricky. There's opportunities. There's challenges. Uh, but at the end of the day, I, I think it's a really important thing to do. And I've spent uh, I've spent a lot of time uh, playing with words and kind of tuning the language around around what I do. You, I get that too because um, there's some words that I come up with. Like one of my favorite words is called Googleizers. Like I think mm. we're kind of all Googleizers. We want that instantaneous answer because we're so used to going to Google and Googling our problem or how do we do something, right? And we're Googleizers and we want that in our own life. So I, I guess I do that too. I have my own little language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool. Um, so with this, this idea of the business on the inside, right, and not doing what the business experts, that hasn't always been the case. Didn't you originally try to do what the, the so-called business experts or gurus said to do? 
Well, so I'll, I'll tell you what happened. Uh, when I when I first started um, circling around uh, business stuff and the opinions of marketing people and all of that, uh, I spent a lot of time and a lot of money buying books and e-courses and hiring consultants. And uh, the end result after every book, every call, every course, uh, at least the ones I read, uh, honestly, most of them I never uh, even looked at, <laughs> but uh, they ended up in a folder or a stack somewhere and never got opened. But uh, you know, I remember distinctly there was a, a call that I had with a marketing consultant who actually I really liked as a person, but they said, you know, in order to build a business and make the kind of money you want to make, you've got to, every time you launch something, you have to do these email blasts and you have to hit people every day for seven days and sometimes two or three times a day. And uh, I remember getting off the phone thinking, there is no way I'm doing this. There is absolutely no possibility that I'm going to do this because it just runs so counter uh, to who I am. And so then I was in in the position of, well, you know, I, I've, I've got two choices. Either I can go back to work for somebody else uh, or I can figure out a way to do this my way. And so, you know, I, I don't I don't know if I, if I tried so much to do it the way I was told, uh, because I, I, I had a hard time even uh, even implementing some of this stuff, you know, because it was just like, uh, I am not going to bombard people's inboxes every day for seven days so I can make some money. It, it, uh, yeah, uh, but I, I did I did spend a lot of time immersed in that because I thought that uh, everybody knew better than I did. And somehow, somewhere, there was some magic secret that was going to make all of this happen. And, of course, there's the barrage of marketing messages that these are the, you know, the 20, uh, 20 rules you absolutely must follow uh, in order to build a business and make money. And um, this course has the magic secret to six figures and, you know, on and on. Um, and the reality is none of that's true. And I've broken uh, probably every single rule that people swear you can't break, uh, and I still managed to uh, to build a, a pretty successful business. Well, and when you talk about if you had done it the way those business gurus, mentors, courses, books, whatever told you to do, that sounds like it would have been out of alignment with yourself. And isn't that why you left corporate America? Absolutely. Yeah. So and 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 that was and that was exactly where I was with it. You know, if if I if I wanted to do something, uh, if I had to do something that I didn't want to do, it was way easier just to go work for somebody else because at least, you know, then I didn't have to worry about, uh, you know, I, it, if, if I worked for somebody else and I knew I'm getting a paycheck every two weeks, I didn't have to worry about writing copy and creating sales pages and, uh, you know, figuring out WordPress, you know, it, it was way easier just to do that. Uh, and so the idea of having to do things that didn't fit and didn't work for me and I didn't like, uh, and having all the anxiety of, of being an entrepreneur and trying to build a business, uh, that just made no sense to me. Uh, there was just no way that was happening. And how did you get over this limiting belief of everybody knows better than I do? Uh, you know, I, I think really it was this moment very clearly that uh, I, I honestly didn't know whether that was true. There was a part of me that said maybe maybe everybody does know better and maybe I'm making a really bad business decision by setting fire to all of this stuff. But what happened was I got to a place in myself where it was really clear that if this is the way I have to do it in order to make it work, uh, following all these rules, then uh, I just can't do it. Like that will be impossible. And so I'm willing to try to do it on my own and on my own terms and using my own maps. And if somehow that fails, then uh, I would rather get 
dot and try and fail and then have to go back to a corporate gig than try to build something around a structure that I was absolutely sure was not going to work for me. So it was really this thing of, I don't know if this is a good idea or not, but I'm willing to try and I'm willing to fail and I'm willing to do something else if it, if it all goes up in flames. So you were willing to fail. You're willing to pursue this inner dream, this inner calling that you had. And if it didn't work out, then you would go back versus sitting on the sidelines, always imagining how glorious it would be, but never really knowing. Yeah, it was, it really came down to it. It, it, it was that simple for me, you know, it, and it wasn't like, and, and, and I want to be clear about that. It's not like I had this moment of like, I somehow tapped into my inner wisdom and I knew that I had all of the resources that I needed. And I had a moment of confidence where the sun shone and the angels sang. It, it wasn't that. Uh, I thought that I could very well be screwing this thing up badly. And I had people around me saying, this is a really bad idea and this is not going to work. And, uh, oh my God, what are you doing? Like all of that. Uh, so it, it, it wasn't rooted in any confidence or anything other than I know I can't do it that way. So I'm going to give this my best shot and I'm going to cross my fingers. And if it doesn't work out, then I'll figure out plan B. Did that allow you to like really dig deep and just put who you are out there? Absolutely. See, so that, you know, so for me, you know, uh, freedom is, is it, it's fundamentally who I am. It's critically important. So that moment of saying, I have no idea whether this is going to work. And at this point, you know, I was just starting to build a business. So I didn't really have a business and I didn't, uh, it's not that I didn't have anything to lose because I, I kind of did, but on some level it was one of those, uh, I, I'm all in and I'm going to put all of this out there. I'm going to put all of me out there, even though people repeatedly said, do not do that. Uh, I'm going to break all of the marketing rules. Uh, and you know, that's it. So, so that way, if it failed, I know that I was in a hundred percent and it, it didn't fail because I wasn't fully invested. It didn't fail because I held back. Uh, and, and that was important to me. And somehow if I was able to be in a hundred percent and it still failed, uh, I could walk away theoretically feeling uh, more peaceful about it. Um, than, than if I had held back. And I absolutely would have walked away feeling better about it than if I tried to build it somebody else's way and it failed. Because I, I knew from the beginning that was the wrong move for me. So with there's so much uncertainty and ambiguity. Were you a person that was good at dealing with uncertainty? Uh, no. Uncertainty makes me crazy anxious. You know, like I, I would, I would love to be able to give you some Zen answer. Like every day I just live the questions. That's not it. I freak out. I freak out when I feel uncertain. Uh, and I spent the first two or three years, uh, anxious a lot. And, um, you know, where there's these moments of growth and then there's moments where it seems like nothing's happening. And, uh, this constant questioning of, is this going to work? Does anybody really care what I'm going to do? Am I ever going to make the kind of money? Uh, no, I, uncertainty makes me crazy anxious crazy anxious. But, um, so I think for me, and, and it still makes me anxious. It's not like I've conquered it in, in, in some, you know, different place with it. I, I still get anxious with it. But, uh, what I've learned is I've learned how to not allow uncertainty shape what I do in an unhelpful way. So before uncertain plus anxious would mean I'm going to sign up for another e-course. Or I'm going to give a marketing blah, blah, 500 bucks to spend an hour and tell me what I should be doing, knowing that I'm not going to do it anyway. 
that was the way that that or or I would spend all day entertaining stories that I should pull my website down and go work at Starbucks, right? Like that was that's what I used to do. Uh, now when I feel uncertain. Uh, I go back to the things that I know are true. I go back to the things that I know have worked. I know I go back to the things both internally and externally that I know based on experience that I can trust. And it's not like the anxiety goes away. It amps down and it gives me enough space that I can keep moving uh, without getting totally spun sideways like I used to. So can you give an example of how you go back to the things that you know will work? Yeah, so uh, a couple of years ago, uh, I, I was doing, uh, uh, last year actually, I was doing a, a retreat with somebody, and uh, we were supposed to launch the sales page, I don't know, like early August or something. And um, despite writing copy fairly well for years and, and all of that, uh, I got so sideways trying to write the copy for this thing, uh, because in the past, years and years ago when I did retreats, it was always this big thing and I had a lot of anxiety around it. So I was, I was back in kind of, I was, I was uh, stuck in a past trying to do this new thing. And I spent like two weeks spinning on the sales page. It was, it was madness. And, uh, the launch kept getting pushed back. Totally my fault that that was happening. Um, and then I had this moment where, uh, it was like, I don't know what else to do other than clean slate everything I've done and just talk directly about why I love this thing, why I think it's useful, who I think this is for, and, and extend the invitation. So in other words, I had to drop the pressure of write a sales page that converts and go back to what I know, which is just write a love letter to people and tell people why this is awesome and, and give people an invitation. And if they get it, they say yes. If they don't, they say no. And when I did that, I mean, I had the, the thing written in like 30 minutes, you know, um, and, and, uh, in terms of the, how that translated, the retreat sold out in like 24 hours. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's an example. That's a great example of going back to the things that, you know, will work, right. Letting go of how you're supposed to, to sell people, how you're supposed to convert all of that stuff and into w why you love it why you think it's going to be useful for people, you know, who you think it's going to be for and why it's going to be awesome. And it's an invitation. It's not an obligation or it's not going to be the magic pill that's going to make everything better just by signing up. Yeah. And, and, you know, for me that, that had been the way that I'd done things before. Cause you know, I, I, I got really anxious, uh, trying to keep all of these variables, like what are the essential ingredients of a sales page that converts, right? And, you know, it has to be addressed and address objections and features and, and all of this stuff that uh, by the time I was done, I wrote something that didn't even sound human, much less it didn't, didn't sound like me. It didn't even sound like a human being had written this thing. And so, you know, I knew already from experience that I had to drop that. And my, so my, my experience of building a business has been uh, traditional business stuff says do this, I'm not going to do that, so what am I going to do in its place? So traditional business says these are the eight essential elements of a sales page that converts. You have to include them, uh, and so I wouldn't do that. So my replacement for that was what I came up with and started calling love letter marketing, which is really basically just writing a love letter to people, telling them why it's awesome. And so when I went back to that with the retreat, it gave me the space that I needed. It took me back to the things that work for me, uh, and uh, uh, it had a great result, you know. And to me, that's the important thing. It's not just like, wow, it feels really good to write a love letter, and then nobody signs up because that's dumb and not, not very effective. Uh, it's that this feels good for me, 
And because I'm rooted in something that's real, I can transmit what I'm doing in a way that strikes a chord with the, the people that it's right for, and the retreat sells out in 24 hours. Say more about that rooted in something that's real. So I think that one of the reasons that people struggle with marketing, you know, and, and in the process of working with people, everybody shows up and says, oh, my God, I, I hate marketing. I can't do it. I don't know what to say. Or when it comes to writing copy. So I'll be on the phone and somebody will I'll say, so tell me what you do. And they'll spend five minutes in this really beautiful, lucid way telling me what they do. And there's passion around it. There's clarity. And then they'll finish it by saying, but, you know, I don't really know how to communicate that to people. And I say, say exactly what you just said to me. That's how you communicate it to people. But what happens is with this marketing stuff, with this copy stuff, people feel like they have to adopt something that's not true and real to who they are. So there's the voice that I use to tell you about what I do. And then there's my marketing voice, right? There's that. And people think that they have to step into a different voice, a different personality, a different place in order to transmit what they do effectively. And so first of all, uh, that makes it crazy hard to do because how do you set aside who you are and adopt another voice and have it sound fluid? And it also lands in a weird way with the people in your audience because it's not coherent with who they know you to be. So it, 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 there's this weird gap in, in frequency that happens, and it spins everybody sideways. But when you go back to what's real and true for you, and when you talk the way you talk, and you, you, you show up the way you naturally show up, uh, it, it's easier to do it, and it lands in a, in a better, stronger, clearer, more effective way with, with people in the audience. I see this again and again and again. It happens all the time. It, so that goes into, um, you always talk about being your, in your Eunice, yeah. and, um, and I'm thinking like, you know, when, when I'm dealing with my weight loss coaching clients, uh, it's not about me telling them what to eat. It's about them listening to what, what it is that makes their body feel good. What do they like? What does what don't they like? Right. Instead of, Oh, I need to eat this because this is the, the latest health rage. And in some ways I kind of wonder the more that we've learned about, you know, calories in calories out this food, that food, the more it's kind of messed with our minds and disconnected with our own inner inside Eunice when it comes to our mind and body connection. And I'm wondering if you see that with all this, there's so much stuff about teaching marketing, learning marketing, has that messed up with just allowing us to be who we are and how can we serve? Uh, I think, first of all, I think that that's a great example you gave. And I think that that uh, is absolutely true uh, in business circles. You know, everybody, the, the, the marketing crowd is quick to say, this is the formula. Mm -hmm. This is the program. These are the steps you have to take. Uh, always do this on a sales page. Never do this on a sales page. And, and all of that comes with such intensity that it, it's like it displaces the, the, the indigenous um, goodness that we have, the, the indigenous clarity, the indigenous uh, ability to speak in a natural way, the, the, that innate capacity to talk with enthusiasm and passion about what we do without having to translate it into some list of bullet points. And, you know, my work is about helping people get back to that because I think that that's the only way you can really build a sustainable business. It's the only way you can get your stuff out there in a way that, that first of all, doesn't burn you out and, and make you nuts, but also that really truly transmits who you are and what you do and strikes a chord with the right people. And 
you know, to me, like, I'm always really sad, like, when I see, like, the latest, you know, blueprint program du jour kind of come up, and as soon as it's done, you've got 50 websites that look the same, you've got 50 websites that sound the same, the copy sounds like it was all written by the same person, the services are structured the same way, and I, I think that, first of all, I think that that's just really bad business, like, just on, on that level, it's just a really not good thing, but on a deeper level, it makes me sad because that's 50 voices that have been lost. That's 50 opportunities to transmit from the realness of who they are that's been, been overlaid by the voice of whoever's teaching the program that's handed somebody a, a template for the way they should show up. And to me, that's, that's a loss that, that is much bigger than just the amount of dollars somebody's missing out on as a result of that really not smart business move. Well, don't you think that's because of the, here's a new word, the Starbuckization that has occurred in our society, right? You know, we're, we, we are America that has just grown these franchises and this corporate branding where we want that sense of certainty. I'm going to walk into here and I know they will have this, this beverage and along with whatever, you know, things that I like to have in that beverage. And, um, and that's kind of the driving force of what it is that we're seeing with these with entrepreneurs is thinking that's the model we need to follow because that's what corporate America did. Yeah, you know, I, I think that ultimately blueprint programs appeal to people's fear and lack of certainty and mm. the lack of belief in themselves. And uh, I think that they 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 transmit this idea that fundamentally is is not true. That uh, if you if you follow this paint by number program you'll make six figures in six minutes and have flatter abs and a better sex life all at once. Uh, and that's not true. Mm -hmm. That's just not the reality of it. And I, I know for some people that works and, and yay, if it works, awesome. But what I also know, I see a long line of people who show up in my world, having run through all of these blueprint programs, spent a ton of money, invested a lot of time and a lot of trust, gotten completely disconnected from who they are and their businesses are failing. And so this promise of certainty is rooted in nothing because it comes from a place of fear. It says, you don't have the capacity to build what you want unless you follow my steps. So give me your money, drop your voice, adopt my program, and then you can get what you want. And I think that that message is a problem on about a million different levels. And again, it's fundamentally not true. Okay, so now I have a question because I, I, I agree with everything that you're saying. Um, now, I, um, I mean, we're going to shift over to design because I've been having some work done in my house. I know what I like, but I don't really know how to get there. And so recently we had some tile backsplashes put in the kitchen and I was going back and forth with my contractor about the color of the grout, right? And part of me goes, I don't really care. I just want it up there, you know, and... But I, what I wound up doing is I went to Pinterest and maybe a couple of other places to look at the different grouts. Like, did I really want it to be clear? Did I really want it to be white? And I looked at that as nuggets, not as a blueprint. Is that different when you may go some places for like inspiration and to see how it looks when it's put together versus like a blueprint? Yeah. So I, I look at, I look at it, uh, inspiration as possibility and I look at blueprint as a formula. And possibility is an open-ended thing because uh, it, it's like possibility is the spark. And what you do with the spark uh, is up to you. But the formula, there's no open-endedness. 
you know, step one, set up a website. Step two, put this on your about page. Step three, structure your programs this way. Step four, you know, there, there's no open-endedness there. So uh, uh, inspiration feels like kind of a wide open circle, whereas uh, this blueprint stuff is, is a straight line that, that they corral you through under the illusion that by the time you get to the sixth step, you'll be where you want to be in your business. And uh, I, I think that that's, it just doesn't work out that way for people. And listen, I'm all for inspiration. I mean, my, you know, and, and, and what, what I think is, I think that, um, I think that it's important when we look at sources of inspiration to, to make sure that we're looking at sources of inspiration that inspire us from a place of love and not fear, right? Because I think that one of the things that we do, we, uh, we look at people that sell these blueprint courses, and there's a, again, there's a heavy element of fear that, that comes across in the marketing, whether it's overt or subtle. There's this presence of fear. And so we start to look at somebody uh, in a way that feels inspirational, but it's really rooted in the thing that, well, I have to copy what they do, or I have to see what they do because they've made it, so they've got something that I don't, and so what is it, right? So that, that's a fear-based inspirational kind of thing, and I would put inspiration in quotes in, the, in this case because I don't really think that's what it is. But it's another thing to, to look at um, someone, something uh, from a place of love and be inspired from that. You know, it's like I'm totally inspired by uh, punk rock and Joey mm -hmm. Ramone, and uh, it's not because I'm afraid. It's because I love what they did and how they how they did it and the fire that they bring to it. And so that amps me up. It it makes me more in the process of of plugging into that. It doesn't. It it connects me more to what's real for me, as opposed to connecting me to something that's external or real for somebody else. And so I think that it's inspiration is awesome if it's rooted in love. If it's coming from fear, I think it gets pretty iffy. Well, and with the show, it's the place where inspiration and possibility meet. And my question I always ask my listeners is, if this is possible for my guest, what is possible for you? Right. Yeah. And if there's nuggets that you can get that that just they they resonate with you. And who knows, maybe, you know, you, you'll take something from this and it will open up your brain to think about how you can implement something of you into the world in whatever manner it may be. It's but it's not you do this and you do it this way. And then therefore it, that transactional relationship where if you do A and B, you get C. And uh, so I think we're on that same page there about that. I want to go back to this, this idea about love, because this is another thing you talk a lot about that, again, is never talked about in business schools or um, uh, in business books or by business gurus, but is this coming from this place of love. What does that mean? Yeah. So at one point, uh, I got really clear, and I, this is certainly not uh, an original idea that came from me. It's all over the place, so I, I take zero credit for it. But uh, it, at some point, I got really clear that fundamentally there was, there was uh, only ever two choices, love and fear. That's it. And every, every decision we make is some, some variant on uh, those, two, those two forces. And uh, I think when it comes to business, and not just business, but really everything, uh, I think we end up making a lot of choices out of fear, and those kind of happen by default. You know, we, we, we decide not to do, you know, so we, we make our website a certain color because it's safe and we're afraid that if we make it bright red, nobody's going to get it. You know, we, we say this on our about page, but not this because, you know, oh my God, what's somebody going to think, right? Uh, th those things sound like sound smart business decisions, but at their core, they're rooted in fear. And I think that fear, the only thing fear can ever possibly do is disconnect us from who we are. 
So every one of these little decisions that we make from a place of fear, it's like we inch further and further back from who we really are. And love does exactly the opposite. It moves us deeper and deeper into ourselves, deeper and deeper into that thing that I talk about as bigness, which really is just like the biggest, biggest, deepest, most on fire part of who we are. Whether you look at that as spirit or soul or genius, whatever, I don't care. It's not, it's not about the language, but it, it's, it's about knowing that it's there. Love moves us into that place. And I know that, you know, in order to do what we want to do in the way we want to do it, it's important to be plugged in and clear. And love does that. Fear will never do that. It can't do that. Fear is a frequency that obscures, not, not clarifies. Ooh, I like that. Fear is a frequency that obscures, that, that does not clarify. Um, yeah. Well, and, and so when you go back to talking about building a business that's sustainable, it, it has to be from a place of love, doesn't it? Well, uh, I think ideally, yeah. I mean, listen, I think people have built a lot of businesses based on fear and based around fear and from a place of fear. Uh, but I think that, that that's a really expensive way to make money. Well, you know, and, I, and I, I think, but I think that leads to, you know, the drug problem that we have, the, you know, the alcohol, the, the food. I mean, it's like we, we can do stuff like that. I mean, I did that, right? I, I knuckled down and did what I needed to do to get through my job and you know be very successful at it but there were costs on the other side yeah absolutely. so um but when you're from a plate when you're coming from a place of love there's going to still be the other stuff happening but it's not as um it's not as taxing is it to ourselves yeah and i think because i think that that love and fear have totally different relationships to something so the same event can happen but love responds one way and fear responds another way. And I think that that's, that's an important point. Like, cause I'm the last person in the world to promote magical thinking. It's not like if you build a business on love, everything is easy and fun and money just rains down from the heavens. It's not that, mm -hmm. it's not that at all, but it's that you, you are, you are in relationship to yourself and your work and the things that come up and the people you serve. Uh, and, and, and you're, you're in relationship from a fundamentally different place from love than fear. And so it, it gives you the, it, it's almost like love and fear are two different sets of eyes. And love sees a certain set of possibilities and solutions and answers and, and, and roads and fear sees a totally different set. And so it really matters, you know, what set of eyes we're using to look at the work that we do and the world around us and, uh, and all of it. You know, I think it, it's one of those fundamental questions. And I know when uh, when I hit a wall, when something comes up, when I get anxious, when I get spun sideways, uh, one of the first things I can ask myself is what would love do? Like what would love do right now? You know, and it, it, it will get me out of that place of spinning, panic, freaking out, you know, losing my mind, all of that. And it, it, it creates a, a, a space of clarity where I can figure out what's next. It doesn't solve the problem, but it gives me the space to solve the problem from a clear, and rooted place in myself as opposed to the spinny fear anxious kind of nonsense stuff. So what went, what are kind of some of the answers that you can share with us about what would love do right now? Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the things, so uh, here's an example. I was, I was working with a client this past week and they're working on building this really amazing, uh, project. And they had a couple of things that looked like setbacks. I didn't really see them so much as setbacks, but they were really, kind of hung up on, oh my God, this is a problem. 
And so I said, you know, so what would, what would love do in this situation? And I could tell they were still kind of in fear. And I was like, oh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And it's like, right. So take a breath and answer the question. And when they answered the question, they said, love would trust. And I said, that's what you need to do then. Mm. You just need to trust that you're on the right track with this. And, you know, two days after we talked, they wrote and they were like, oh, my God, you were right. This was on the right track. Things are fine, you know. And, and so if, if they hadn't plugged into that trust thing, they, because they, they showed up saying, listen, this is a problem. This happened. I need to reshape this. I need to retool this. How do we get this? Like they showed up wanting to like redo the map. And that would have taken them significantly off course. All they had to do was trust. And in a couple of days, it all worked itself out, you know. And, and if they had acted from fear, it would have looked like they came up with a solution, but they would have ended up, again, disconnected in left field, further away from where they were. But saying love would trust gave them room to kind of breathe, take it easy, and let the thing work itself out, which it totally did. That's how I climbed a very tall ladder very fast and was tenured at 29 years old because I was running, I was using fear and then the fear was driving control in me. Right. And so it was, I think having root being rooted in fear and then going from going into a place of control is, you know, you can make things happen, but, uh, it's not very good. And, um, and then that is what eventually kept leading me further and further down the wrong path for me um, until I finally said, I just can't do this anymore. Um, and, you know, I think you're totally right. And the one thing that I also want to say is that, like, talking about doing it from love sounds awesome, and I think it is totally awesome. And I will also say a lot of times it's harder than doing it from fear. Ooh, say more about that. So it, so I think that, you know, again, because I, I'm, I'm a realist about this mm-hmm. stuff and I don't want it to feel like, oh, it's all warm and fuzzy <laughs> and unicorns. And it's not. There are times when it, it feels easier and more immediately satisfying and even saner on some level to do it from a place of fear because fear is about that control. It's about wiping the map, coming up with a new plan, grabbing the steering wheel, you know, freaking out, whatever it is. And so it gives us a sense of being in control and I've got a plan and I'm in charge. And, and so that alleviates the anxiety. I think that there is an incredible mm-hmm. uh, vulnerability mm-hmm. around doing something from a place of love. And that can be terrifying. Mm-hmm. There's moments that can be exhilarating and amazing and it feels like a fuzzy unicorn. But there are other moments where it feels like standing wide open naked, hoping for the best. And that is terrifying. And I think it takes an extraordinary amount of trust and connection to your own sense of bigness uh, and a willingness to stay in a place that can be really scary to continue to do it from a place of love and not fear. Well, and so an example of that, because then, you know, I appreciate you're like getting us down to being pragmatic because I'm very pragmatic and I don't think life is unicorns and rainbows. Um, but uh so with this radio show, this radio show is an example for me of what I did that has come from a place of love. It's just really there's there's nothing in it for me it's, as far as a financial component. It's something that I do, and I've I'm really good at connecting with people and asking questions, and and I really try to honor my guests by showing up well prepared, and then having something out there for people that can help them in their life, and um, and you know I've been able to do it for eight years. Um, now, here's the thing is that I do love this show, but there are times this show 
there's a lot of pain and suffering that comes from this. There's uncertainty. You know, there's that the imposter syndrome. Am I good enough? Will will some people not want to be on my show? There's all that stuff that goes on. And there are days that, you know, you get that rejection from somebody that you pitched to be on your show and you're like, oh my gosh, see, it's over. And now everybody's, I'm totally exposing myself. Um, and then there are days that it lines up and, you know, you ask people to come on and they're happy to come on or somebody who you've been thinking about wanting to come on has pitched you and, and that works out just as well. And, but the thing that's been able to keep me to do this for eight and a half years is that I do the show from a place of love, which, and there's, there's no certainty, there's no outcomes. There've been incredibly magical things that have happened by doing the show that I'd never would have thought, you know, the control freak in me would have ever thought possible, but um, there are, it's, there are the ups and the downs of the show, even though it's from a place of love. Is that kind of what you're talking about? It's exactly what I'm talking about, you know, because I think that, um, what I know about love is that love never promises certainty. There's no certainty in love, right? Fear promises certainty. Do this and you'll be safe. Do this, that'll happen. Rather than show up vulnerably from a place of love and invite people into your work, scare people, press on the pain points, tell them how crappy their life will be until they give you money, and that's a much safer thing to do. It's less vulnerable for me to try to scare you into giving me money than to show up and say, this is my work, this is my heart, this is why I love this, this is why I think you'll love this, let's do this thing. That feels like an open-ended uncertainty, whereas fear, it's like fear sort of promises certainty through bullying, whether it's bullying ourselves or bullying other people, and that feels like a much safer thing. But there's no certainty in love. There's no certainty in love at all, and that's, that's the magic, that's the opportunity, and that's the challenge of doing things from love. There's no certainty. I love that. Love never promises certainty. And when you are like me, who is the former queen of certainty, hence the tenure job, right? That was something that I am constantly working on practicing, just like you're working on, you know, it's not like the anxiety has poof, gone away. It still comes up, it still comes for a visit, and you still have to work with it, around it, get rid of it, or let it be there at days. And I do that with the certainty thing of letting go of that and and trying to practice trust and faith which is something that when you run from Kim from a place of fear, you're, you don't have trust and faith, do you? No, not at all. You know, I mean, my, my default setting has always been uh, to be anxious. And my solution for that has been to be a, a total control freak with my stuff. Uh, love is the opposite of that. And it's been the most challenging thing ever. And there are moments that uh, it terrifies me in a way that I feel like my face is about to melt off. You know, I mean, and there's moments that it excites me and inspires me and and exhilarates me. But there are moments where I I will feel sick in my stomach from the vulnerability of coming from a place of love. It's hard. It really is hard. It's incredibly hard. And I think that that's why that's why most people don't do it, because it's a scary place to be. And see, that's the thing. And I think that's why this is a really important facet of this conversation, because coming from love sounds nice and easy and clean and good and smart and wise. And it's all of those things, but it's also incredibly hard, incredibly hard, because it requires us, it requires us to drop the armor, to not shut down, to not jump to conclusions, to not default to the fear and the control freakery and all of that stuff. And so that means that the only option we have is to sit and stay open and stay plugged in. And that's a scary place to be. 
in any situation, whether it's a personal relationship or a business relationship or whatever it is, that's a scary place to be. So uh, I have to, so I'm going to tell you a little story. I got yeah. called for jury duty this week and, um, and I went in on Monday and, you know, there was a part of me, I was very torn and I knew my energy was wonky. <clears throat> there was a part of me that was like, I, I need to get out, right? Because I've got clients, I've got all kinds of stuff. I, I just have to get out of jury duty. And then there's this other part that really believes in civic duty. And so I was all wonky with it. And, um, and then I was having this little pity party in my head of nobody wants me, right? So this is going on in my head. And I got wound up getting picked for jury duty, of course. And when I was walking out of the courtroom, I said, well, at least somebody wants me. <laughs> <laughs> and I made it a little bit better. And it's, it was a totally fascinating experience. It was a great experience. I'm thankful I did it. Um, but it was interesting because that started helping me shift my energy because I was really, you know, I get into these moments where I struggle with my show. We'll, we'll just keep it on that. I do struggle with the show and, and I've had, you know, and so, but then the next day I got into this different place and I got connected like, okay, what do I want? Who do I want to serve? What do I love? Kind of the stuff that you're talking about. I don't really have like, you know, remember the bullet point questions that I had. And there were a couple of people that I was like, oh, they would be awesome for my audience. Emailed them, boom, within less than 24 hours, they were both booked. You know, they're coming up in the next month or so. And, and that was stopping those stories that I was having last week based on other stuff that was spilling over into my show, right? Another part of my life spilling over into my show going, yeah. Because last week I was thinking, oh, I need to, you know, reach out to a few people and get them booked. These are people who've already told me verbally that they would be on my show and I was getting in my own way. Mm. Right. And but so but working through that and going back to, OK, what is it that I love? How do I want to serve? And then being risking that vulnerability of somebody saying no and then being OK with that, too, I think is really important. Well, and you know what's interesting? What I'll what I'll just say is somebody who's who's hung out with you now three times on the show. Uh, anytime you ask me, it's an immediate yes for me, and it's not always that way. Like when I get invitations for interviews, I usually spend a little bit of time kind of thinking, and uh, you know, is it yes or no? But it's an immediate yes for me because that love that you bring to the show transmits so clearly. It's just an it's it, it's an instant yes for me. Oh, well, and so I think that is a great example, right? I'm not trying to get my backstroke, but I think that's in a great example of what we're talking about coming from a place of love here. I love this thing, but there's a lot of heartache that comes from it too. I mean, it's like, it's like being in a loving relationship with somebody. It's not all roses and candy. There, right. There's hard stuff. And that's really what coming from a place of love and building your business, that's what you're talking about. And I think, and, and I thank you for really hammering this part down because I think that will be helpful for people when they're going through their, you know, the crazy stuff that happens too. Yeah. And that's it. You know, I think that, that when you, when you plug into that love and you transmit that love through what you do, it really does land in a different way with people. You know, I, I've seen it uh, and I know this to be true, not in some theoretical, philosophical sense, but in a real-world way that actually affects bank accounts because I've seen it happen with my work. I've seen it happen again and again and again with clients. Uh, I just – I know this to be true, that, that when you plug into that and when you, when you transmit that through what you do, it lands in a different way with people, and it has a very concrete, tangible effect uh, in your business. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's – a big deal. So I, I want to talk about numbers as metrics, 
right? Yeah. And because in your work that you do with what I do, numbers is very dominating. Weight loss is very dominating. You know, business, that's all we hear about is numbers, numbers, convert, numbers, what's your list size, numbers, numbers. Why are numbers the wrong metric? Yeah. So uh, I... So here's what's interesting. I, I've built a pretty successful business. Uh, I never look at my numbers. I never have looked at my numbers. I don't care about my numbers. Um, and I, I never encourage clients to care about their numbers either. I think that, you know, traditional business stuff says, you know, install Google Analytics, check your blog stats, track unique visitors, check conversion rates, how many Facebook friends, you know, all of this stuff. And I think that it, it's rooted in a false assumption that, more is better, and first of all, that's not true. It 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 hangs a meaning on numbers that uh, is not actually accurate. And uh, to me, a much more important metric, and really the only metric that I care about, uh, is engagement. That's that's what you should be tracking, not not you know 10% of people open my newsletter. I've got 100,000 people on on uh, Facebook. Who cares? You know, I had I had two clients that really illustrated this for me. There was a client who uh, is a very famous author who had over a quarter of a million people on their mailing list. When they sent offers out, no one cared. They were making almost no money at all. No one cared what they were doing. Their numbers were amazing, the kinds that would make Internet marketers swoon in their seats, you know, quarter of a million people. I had another client who had less than, I think, 48 people on their mailing list, and they were make, making multiple six figures. You know, so yeah, are, are those two extreme examples? Absolutely they are. But if you just look at the numbers themselves, quarter of a million mailing list, 48 people mailing list, one looks like a success and one looks like a failure. The reality is that's not true. What I know is that numbers don't matter really in the way we think that they do, in the way that we're told they do. What matters is resonance. What matters is whether you're striking a strong chord with your people. And I know that you can do more with 20 people who really care what you're doing than 2,000 or 20,000 or 200,000 people who are lukewarm about what you're putting out in the world. And if you track numbers, and if you make numbers important, you'll miss that entirely. So what do you mean by resonance? What I mean is that, that it, it strikes this strong gut level yes in someone. To me, that's resonance. You know, when I, when I land on someone's site and I see what they do and I can feel it in my gut that I'm excited about this person and the work that they're doing and, like, I just immediately want to know more about who they are and what, what this thing is that they're putting out in the world. That's resonance, you know, and that matters. I will tell you that that person – who feels that sense of excitement, whose body leans toward their screen to, to take in more of what you're doing, they will do more for your business than 500 people that you get to sign up for your mailing list because you've, you've given some, <laughs> some ebook that they can only get if they give you their email address. Right. And again, there's nothing about traditional business marketing that tells you that they tell you to care more about those 500 people that showed up for a free cookie versus actually for caring about what you were doing, then, then you should care about the person who's excited and leaning forward and ready to devour the work that you're doing. That could not be more backwards. <laughs> Who probably was very painstakingly hating putting together that freebie for you in the first place. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, 
So, and that's how you create engagement. So, and that's where I think why I keep getting drawn to you. And I love the work that you do because, you know, we're both against numbers or blueprints, right? It's about how do you connect with people? How can you help people? How can you serve? And um, so that, that engagement is really important. What are ways that you see as, uh, has been in great engagement, whether it's for yourself or the clients that you work with? Yeah, so it's interesting. You know, there's all of this stuff out there about smart social media strategy and whether you should tweet at 3 o'clock on Tuesday or noon <laughs> on Friday. And uh, I will tell you, all of that is meaningless. It could not be less useless information. Uh, you know, so social media has worked really well for me. And I, I, I have a lot of people that say, what's your social media strategy? Uh, the answer to that is I have none. My social media strategy is to show up and have real conversations with people like I would have if you were sitting in my living room. And that can happen on Facebook. It happened on Twitter 100 years ago when I was on Twitter. Uh, that's, that's my strategy, in quotes, is to show up in social media the same way that I show up in real life, to ask questions, not, not as a way to bait somebody to my blog post, but because I actually care about the answer. You know, mm -hmm. to build relationships with people, not for the purpose of eventually milking money out of them, but because I'm actually interested in having a relationship with them. You oh. know, that's, that's the strategy. That's how you build engagement. You show up as a real human being. You engage with people because you're interested, not because that you're hoping they're going to sign up for your 10-part e-course. You know, because I think that people can smell that. They, they get when the, when the intention is... Uh, something other than actual interest, and that there's nothing magnetic about that. You know, it, it, there's nothing magnetic or interesting or or real about that. And I think most people are are uh, increasingly uh, savvy and sophisticated when it comes to kind of sniffing that stuff out. And uh, you know, I, and, I, and I think the other part of engagement, again, you know, in a lot of ways, it goes back to uh, the vulnerability thing that we talked about and being willing to talk about the things and share the parts of you that that other people have told you you should not share and you should not talk about, you know. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm not uh, – I think I, I want to be clear about this. Like I, this authenticity thing has gotten tossed around a lot to the point that it's almost a meaningless word at this point. But uh, I think that there is a difference between being genuine and being authentic and standing up and just vomiting everything all over mm -hmm. everybody, right? Th those mm -hmm. are two very different things. I'm not an advocate of – I will tell all of the world, all of my business, all the time, whether it's appropriate or not. That is absolutely not what I'm advocating. What I'm talking about, so as an example, you know, in addition to the business stuff that I know how to do, I've got a 20-year background in shamanism. I've spent my life immersed in art and punk rock and fashion and, you know, all of this stuff that I love. And people said to me, you know, you can't talk about shamanism and business. People are going to think you're an idiot. Nobody's going to understand what the intersection of that is. You can't talk about Joey Ramone all the time. People are going to think you're dumb, <laughs> you know. Uh, you know Boas. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, feather bow is like nobody's going to understand. Like, what's you know? So uh, l last year I was on I was on a magazine cover, and when uh, a friend of mine saw it, so the the cover shot was me in a feather boa, and uh, when a friend saw it, they said, "So your first time on a magazine cover, and you decide to do it wrapped in a feather boa? Like, really? Was that was was that the smartest plan? You know?" Uh, but what's interesting is that one, I didn't even think about it because it's just kind of my my default, uh, and. What was interesting is when my audience saw that, they responded so strongly. That issue of that magazine sold out three or four times over. They sold out like three or four print runs of this thing because that's the reality of who I am. It's, it's not a shtick. It's not a put-on. It's not a marketing gimmick. It's who I am. 
just authentically, and people get that. And there's something about showing up in the complexity of who we are that allows people to do the same thing. It invites people to, to bring the things to the table that they've been told they should keep hidden. To me, that's the kind of engagement I'm interested in. I want you to be able to show up with all of who you are, all of the things that people have said, that's not okay. Don't ever say that to anybody. Show up and say that. That's the kind of engagement I'm interested in because, you know, does it run counter to the business blah, blah of position yourself as an expert? Absolutely. And what I know is that nobody wakes up in the morning craving a new shiny expert in their life. They wake up craving real. And that's the kind of engagement that I'm interested in, engagement that's built on the real and the complex and being able to bring all of who we are to the table. I love that. And with that, there are those people that that vulnerability will scare them and they will run away, correct? Absolutely, will. And sure. that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be vulnerable or be who we are. It's just not a good fit. And that's okay. Yeah, so, so that goes back to the resonance, right? Are there people who don't get my tie between shamanism and business? Are there people who think I'm an idiot because I wear a feather boa? Absolutely. And I'm totally and completely at peace with that. That's not my problem to solve, mm -hmm. right? That, that's, it, it's just a resonance thing. You know, some people like country music, some people like uh, dance music. It, you know, it doesn't mean that, that country is bad and dance is good or whatever. It just means it's a preference. Some people don't prefer to have their business stuff mixed up with drums and feather boas. Totally get it. They're not a good fit for what I do. And I'm all right with that. And I don't have to do anything different because there are people who totally get what I do and totally love it. And those are my people. And it works brilliantly for those people. Fabaku, as we go into the end of this interview, what are a couple of takeaways that you can give the listeners for entrepreneurs? Yeah, the first thing that I would say uh, is, is be more conscious of, of the decisions you're making and ask yourself the question, is, am I choosing love or am I choosing fear? And if you ask yourself that question again and again, uh, your business will change, your life will change, your relationships will change, the way you feel within yourself uh, will be fundamentally different. Uh, I think if, there's, if, if that's the only thing you take away from this conversation, uh, that, like really, that's the thing. Um, the other thing that I would say is that, that at some point it's really important to find a way to turn down all of the noise that's constantly telling you, you can't do it your way, you don't know enough, and you'll never succeed without a formula because it's fundamentally not true. And while that path might seem easier in the short term, I think it's a really expensive road to go because it alienates you from the most powerful and real and important and magnetic and needed pieces of who you are. And so resist the temptation to take the path that seems easier uh, because it's pushed from a place of fear because it's all, it, it's not true. It's not true. Trust what's, what's innate and indigenous to who you are. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Fabeku, thank you so much for being a guest today. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is Corinne Motokaitis, and you've been listening to How She Really Does It. I will have links to Fabeku's website on the interview page along with the previous interviews that we did because there's even more great content in there and information and nuggets from him. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to How She Really Does It. I invite you to subscribe to my weekly newsletter at howshereallydoesit.com. I do this show each week for you so you can now see 
the windows of possibilities in your own life. I believe there are many journeys for us to take. We can learn from others to see what is possible for ourselves. I believe there are possibilities for all of us, not just the ones who have acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled, lost our way, or only saw closed doors. With this show, maybe you can now see a glimmer coming through the windows. I call that the windows of possibility. Each week, I bring a guest who represents those possibilities. They too have had their own struggles and uncertainty, yet somehow they have found their way. My guests are an example of what is possible when you continue, when you learn, leap, fall down, and get back up. I invite you into this space so you can ask yourself, if that is possible for them, what is possible for me? Really ask yourself that. I would love to connect with you. Please join me at www.howshereallydoesit.com. And thanks for listening today. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wide awake.